kicking off today in Romans chapter 2. And what we've done, we've been uh, here in the beginning of Romans. Romans is such a great book. And, and uh, I, uh, I recently was uh, visiting with another pastor. He took eight years to go through Romans. So I am way ahead of the curve. Eight years. Can you imagine that? Man, I don't think I can go that slow. But, as we were, uh, as we were talking about a Romans, incredible book. So what we saw in chapter 1, Paul introduces himself. He introduces himself with, uh, you know, what his attitude of being a, an apostle is. And his, and his uh, apostleship, the authority that he has. As he lays out for them, probably one of the most concise areas in the Word of God that discuss the Gospel. The Gospel, Romans has been called the, the, the Gospel of Grace. It's an incredible book as we look at it. And it really describes for us what salvation is all about. Salvation is really in the, in the core of what's going on in the book of Romans. So what it begins with is we have the key verse. The key verse in the book of Romans is this. The just shall live by faith. So let's simplify that a little bit. The righteous will live by faith. Or the man who is right with God, in a right relationship with God, lives by faith. Not by what he does, what he did, what he didn't do, what he should have done. By faith. Because throughout the Word, here's what the Word of God tells us about the concept between grace and works. It's simply this. Our works are filthy rags. The best we can do. And it's important in the first three chapters of Romans that we understand that. Because in chapter 2, he's going to kind of focus into the, to the uh, religious morality that some people have. They have this concept that somehow that they're, they're good or things are going to be good enough or their good is going to outweigh the bad. And so what Paul does is in the first three chapters, he really lays out for us, okay, here is what the righteousness of God shows us. And the very first stop before he gets to salvation and justification, he deals with our need for a Savior. We're guilty. You guys remember when Jesus came, he said, I did not come to the world to condemn the world. Do you understand why he said that? Because he said the world is already condemned. There's no point in me condemning you. You are all guilty before God. Every man, woman, and child guilty before God. But he said, I have come that you might be saved. So the heart of God is to see men and women, boys and girls, saved in a right relationship with him. Righteous men and women walking by faith. Not by some righteousness that we contrive, right? You guys know what I mean when we contrive righteousness? Like you wear something fancy to church because, hey, you know, I gotta, I gotta wear my best. Gotta look good. There's nothing wrong with looking good unless you think somehow by looking good you are more righteous. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God short of receiving what He's already done. So as we look here, first three chapters, he's really going to focus in on, on that idea that we are guilty men. Everyone. Guilty. Before God. We have, everyone on earth, offended the God of the universe. Chapter 1, you remember, he tells us that we are responsible for the revelation that he's given us. And he says in creation, he has revealed his eternal power and Godhead. The idea of His eternal power in Godhead is seen in creation. Look, let's simplify it. I go out tonight and I look at the stars. I know I didn't put them there. Somebody put them there. 
Now, you can choose to believe they all just randomly went there. <clears throat> That's your choice. But God says, I have shown you that there is something in the universe bigger than you. Something in the universe that you don't know about. You can think about and you can contemplate, but you don't know. And if all that we have in the universe happened a long time ago, whatever started it started before the universe happened. His eternal power and Godhood. He's bigger and better and larger than anything I can imagine. So he says, you are responsible for the light that I have shown you. And we can reject that light. If we reject the light that God has given, then God doesn't give any more light. If you receive the light that God has given, then God gives more light. He says, you are inexcusable, O man, who look at the universe and say, there is no God. So that's God's first case. His first point. He has revealed himself in nature, and men will either accept or reject it. Now, when men reject it, God says, I'll give them over to a reprobate mind. And he starts to do this downward spiral in the heart of men. Let's look at the end of, of chapter 1 from verse 29. So this is the downward spiral, guys. Uh, well, we'll look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things that are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who know the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That's the downward spiral. What's interesting is, you know, he didn't say those who commit. Did you catch that? He said those who are full of. Well, I never murdered a soul. That doesn't change the fact that you're full of murder. What do you mean? Oh, come on, brother. I've seen you so mad at somebody that in your mind you have plunged the knife over and over again. Oh, no. Uh, don't add lying to it. <laughs> we are guilty. That's what's in the heart of man. That's what's in the heart of man. I, I, I went so far last service to say it's even in babies. You should have heard the gas. <gasps> no. You think it's not in Ruby, huh? What do you think? Could it be in Ruby? I don't know. She's pretty cute. I won't take the cuteness away, but when she wants her bottle, I've seen her eyes. And if she was big enough to beat the snot out of somebody to get that bottle, would she do it? Absolutely. If she wanted that diaper change, the only thing that keeps her from committing the things that are in her heart and mind is she's little. She can't do it. I see, at least my kids, maybe mine are spawns. I don't know, but... My boys, man, their faces would turn red and their fists would be clenched and they'd be screaming. And it wasn't like, uh, it was, I'm ticked. Somebody take care of me. Look, all that indicates is what the Bible said a long time ago. The heart of man is wicked. We're broken. We sing songs about it all the time. We may not always catch it, but that's what we're talking about. We're born broken. 
That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you, you're already condemned. I came to save you. So Romans 1, 2, and 3, these three chapters, and we won't finish them today, but we'll get part of the way anyway. They paint for us our guilt. Because before you know about salvation, you need to know you need a Savior. You need to know that you need what it is that God is offering for us. So let's take a look at chapter 2. He begins, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge, another you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Or do you think, O man, you who judge those practicing these things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise His richness, the richness of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness between themselves and their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them. In that day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we... Lift to you your word. Father, we pray, Lord God, that it would accomplish that to which it is sent. That our eyes would be open and our ears would be willing to hear that which you have for us. Lord God, we ask that you meet us in this place. Father, we seek to honor you and to glorify you in the things that we do. So, Lord, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, chapter 2, we look at the religious moralist. Now, before we get too carried away with the religious moralist, everybody always wants to point to the church. Um, religious moralism has nothing to do with church. It has the word religion in it, so sometimes that confuses people. So religion means to be bound up. To be bound up. The idea is better summed up with the phrase self-righteous. Now, you don't have to be in church to be self-righteous, do you? You guys ever met self-righteous people? I've met him in church, I've met him out of church. I met a guy the other day that talked about the fact that he didn't like religion. I don't like religion. Religion, All organized religion is junk. So I'm, I'm into any religion that's unorganized, I guess, is, <coughs> is the idea. But the, but the point is, he's got his focus on everybody else. 
That's what the religious moralist does. His focus is on everybody else. It don't matter if you're in church or out of church. You can be in church and like this. You can be out of church like this. You can be fully unsaved and in the middle of church like this. You can be fully unsaved out in the world like this. The idea is exactly what he brings out in the first phrase. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man. Now, everybody remember what we do with therefores? We have to discover what? There, therefore. Right? Why is it there? Well, we read the beginning of chapter 1, right? He's told the downward spiral of man. And so he said, so therefore, you guys who know this is not what God wants. So he's talking about those who are at least somewhat religious, outside religious. But they're spending their time pointing their fingers at everybody else. Look what it says, verse 1. You are inexcusable, O, o man, whoever you are who judge. Now, what is a one verse? If nobody knows a verse in the entire Bible, what's one verse they know? Come on. Judge... Not, lest you be judged. Oh my goodness. And everybody on earth knows that verse. Now, let me tell you what that means. Everybody on earth will be held accountable for what that verse says. What? Yeah, it says don't judge. Don't. Ju- What's he talking about? Why well, don't let's go look. Matthew chapter 7 is where that's at. Matthew chapter 7. We'll look at the first couple of verses real quick. So we get an idea. What's he talking about? Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. You guys heard of the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus is doing this big sermon, people all over the place. He's teaching them, and he tells them, Judge not, lest you be judged. He goes on to say, For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and the measure that you use will be measured back to you. Now, what's that mean? Well, let me put it to you this way. Galatians chapter 6 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows... That shall he also reap. Basically, that means whatever you plant will grow. Right? Whatever you plant. So if I plant judgment, or in this case, the word is krino, which means condemnation. So if I plant condemnation, I'm always condemning other people. What am I reaping? Condemnation, right? The same measure that you give will be measured back to you. The same attitude we have in judgment will come back. What is he trying to focus us on? If you're the person Jesus is talking to you, judge not lest you be judged. For with the same judgment you use, it'll be measured back to you. What's he telling you? He's saying, stop looking at everybody else. And look at yourself. What's going on in you? Because every person who is judgmental is judgmental because it keeps them from having to look at themselves. And it makes us blind to our own need. Well, look at the rest there in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, he tells them a story. Before you go pull the speck out of your brother's eye, what's he say? Take the log out of your own. Now, what's, you guys ever have something in your eye? You get a little something in your eye. Man, you wish you could get that thing out. Now, let's say somebody comes walking over to you, but they got a, a big rose bush sticking out of their eye. Big one. Like three feet long. And you're saying, oh, I got something stuck in my eye. They got this big old rose bush growing out of their eye. You going to let them pick in your eye? No. What's the Bible say? Get the log out of your eye. Then you can see clearly. To remove the speck from your brother. So God is saying, look, when we have a judgmental, self 
uh, um, righteous attitude. Well, I'm okay, and, and everybody else is messed up. It makes us blind to our need. we got a log in our eye, and he wants us to take that log out. So he says back in Romans chapter 2, You are inexcusable, O man who judge and does the same thing. Nobody on earth is not guilty. Nobody on earth will be made right with God based on their good works. Is it possible for people in the world to do good things? Absolutely. People in the world do good things all the time. But is there any way for them not to, by good works, to to break the offense they have to God? Listen to what God said. The soul that sins must die. Period. The soul that sins must die. There's no life. There's no way to redeem ourselves. We are sinners. And that's the point he's making. Don't be looking at everybody else. Don't be pointing at everybody else. Look, whoever you are who judge for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself for you who judge practice the same things. You are guilty. We are guilty. The point of Romans 1, 2, and 3 at the end of those chapters is to say, I need a Savior. I need Jesus. I can't get there without Him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How many people get to the Father without Him? No man comes to the Father except through me. Is that what He said? In John chapter 8, He said, Unless you believe that I am eternal God, you will die in your sins. What? I don't remember that. Well, let me say it to you. Unless you believe that I am. Ego, I, me. What did God say His name was in Exodus chapter 3? Moses said, tell the children of Israel, what should I say to them when they say, what God sent you? I mean, you're coming to us saying, what would you do if somebody came to you and said, hey, God told me to come tell you something. You'd want to know if they're crazy or if they're real, right? Wouldn't you? I'd want to know that. So, he said, what will I tell them when they ask me who you are? He said, you tell them I am has sent you. I am what? The word in Hebrew means, I am everything you need. I am the becoming one. I'm everything you need. Then, Jesus, when it comes to the Gospel of John, what's He give us? Seven I am statements, right? You remember them? I am the good shepherd who gives us life for the sheep. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The ego I me, a declaration of deity. How do we know it's a declaration of deity? Because every time He said it, they tried to kill Him. You don't kill somebody just for saying, I am, do you? But you might if he was saying, I am God. Jesus said, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sin. There's only one way. There's only one way out of our guilt. And it's not by focusing our attention on everybody else. The church does this really good, by the way. They got a good idea about who all the sinners in the world are. And so we spend a lot of time poking at them and pointing at them. But the point of Romans chapter 2 is to say, stop doing that. Get the log out of your eye before you try to remove the speck from your brother. Get the log out. 
it makes us blind to our need when we have this attitude. Look, there's several things about God's judgment that we see here. Look in verse 2. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. First thing we know about the judgment of God, it's infallible. God's never wrong. Oh, God just, He didn't catch that one. No, He caught it all. Just and true, righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. And Revelation declares, His judgment is infallible. Nothing gets by. Nothing slips by Him. But in verse 3, He says, And do you think, O man, you who judge and practice the same things, that you will escape the judgment of God? The second thing we learn about the judgment of God is this. It is inevitable. It is appointed unto man once to die. You guys ever heard that verse? It is appointed unto man once to die. And then what's the next phrase? Judgment. By the way, that verse is a proverb. A proverb usually is testifying one major truth. What's the one major truth of that verse? After you die, you will be judged. It does not mean that everybody will die one time. Has there ever been people who died twice? Yeah, a number of them. Right? There are a number of them in the Bible. One guy was dead four days. Jesus came, pulled him out of the grave, raised him from the dead. What happened to him later? He died again. Oh, the Word of God is not true. No. The point is not. The point is, when you die, what happens? Judgment. It is appointed. You have a date. Once you die, you will be judged. Every man, woman, and child. The judgment of God is inevitable. When you stand before God, will you be made right with God based on how good you've been? How many good things you've done? How much you read your Bible? How many times you prayed? Only one thing makes us right before God. The blood of Jesus Christ. Being in Him. Period. And if we're spending our time pointing at other people, we're blind to our need. As a believer, I am to live my life in an attitude of repentance. What does 1 John 1 9 say? If you confess your sins, right? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and do what? Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What was the first part again? If you confess... What did I say again? If you confess your sins... Am I supposed to confess my sins? Or should I just pretend everybody else is a sinner and I'm not? I should be living a life of repentance. Not perfection. Any of us perfect? I'm not. I'm not. We all should be living a life of repentance. But if I'm pointing at everybody else, oh, look at his sin. His sin's worse than mine. I can't believe what she did. I'm blind to my need. And I'm inexcusable. I'm not saved because I'm better than someone else. Or I've done less than someone else. Look what he says in verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, His forbearance, and His long-suffering? You see, what it does is it makes us blind to our need and we miss, we lose the character of God. There's two choices when you've offended God. Do you know what those two choices are? Two things will happen. Judgment or goodness. Which one you want? But it seems like people got to think about that for a while. Uh, maybe I want judgment. I don't know. Trust me. Do you want goodness? Or do you despise the goodness of God? What's the goodness of God? The goodness of God is that He has not smote us already. 
He hasn't taken us. We still have time. He hasn't taken us. What? The soul that sins shall die. Remember? God can take us anytime. He is sovereign, all-powerful, creator of the universe. He is very just. But He's also good. So you're going to fall under one of those two characteristics of God. The judgment of God or the goodness of God. The goodness of God is seen in His forbearance, that He looks past our sin. And His long-suffering that He gives us time to repent. What's the next part of the verse say? For the goodness of God, what does what? Leads us to repentance. You know what the goodness of God did? It poured out God's judgment on His Son. He made Him who knew no sin to become sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God. He made Him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, to become sin on the cross. There's a moment on the cross when Jesus became sin. You know that? He became sin. You know how we know when that happened? Jesus cried out. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he cried in the Garden of Gethsemane, it wasn't for the nails. It wasn't for the scourging. It was for the first time in eternity... The father and son would be separated by sin. And his father wouldn't be able to look at him. He became sin. That I might become the righteousness of God. He took my debt and paid it. And now he stands holding out the gift. All I have to do is receive the gift. But I can't pay for the gift. I can't pay for it by being good enough or praying enough or reading the Bible enough. I just receive the gift. He came into His own, and His own did not receive Him. But to as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. To as many as believed on His name. You know what Jesus' name means? Jehoshua. God is salvation. To as many as believed on His name, God saves. That's the point He's laying out for us. We are going to put ourselves in one of those categories. If we're being judgmental, condemning others, then we put ourselves in a category that says, I'm ignoring my need. Don't do that. And it's not just people in the church who are already saved who do that. There are people outside the church who are busy judging everybody else. I'm, I met a guy in jail one time, talking to this guy in jail. I'll never forget him. And we're, we're talking to him about heaven. And he said, well, heaven will be lucky to get me. I'm a good guy. I'm better than all these guys here. But that ain't the point, brother. Better than all these guys, you're still guilty. You're still lost. You stand before God, a guilty man. How can I be guilty? I've done a lot of good things. You guys ever heard of judicial sentiment? We'll talk about it in a minute. But listen, here's the idea of judicial sentiment. Have you ever held someone accountable for doing you wrong? Don't you lie, you're in church. Oh, yeah, I held somebody. This guy did said something about me or did something to me, and it was wrong, man. And what he did is wrong. So you held him accountable for offending you. Well, yeah. Then you'll be condemned by your own judicial sentiment. Because in the same way you were offended by someone that you held accountable, God is offended by you. 
you have offended him and you are guilty. Period. I'm not a murderer. Well, we already talked about you committed murder in your heart, right? You've been mad enough at somebody to stab him just because you didn't do it. Just because you had more self-control than somebody else doesn't make you less guilty. Does it? The Bible tells in Psalm 139 that God knows our thoughts before we think them. What happens? It's appointed unto man once to die and then judgment. You're standing before Almighty God and He turns on a videotape. And He says to you, oh, listen, son or daughter, are you, are you guilty before me? Oh, no, God, I'm a good person. You tell me what happens when He plays back every thought you've had for your life. Good person? Oh. Do you know that the Bible says God writes down everything we do? Every thought we had? Every reason we did it? And says on that day the books will be opened. And the book, the book, the book of the Lamb. And whosoever's name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. They're cast out. What does that mean? What does that mean? That ultimate judgment of God. What are we talking about? A lot of times people talk about hell like it's uh, uh, some strange place. You know that nobody's in hell right now. Did you guys know that? Nobody's in hell right now. Hell's empty. What? Yeah, there's two places. There's either heaven in the presence of God or the grave. If you're in the grave, you're awaiting judgment. Otherwise, the Bible says... To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you know Jesus Christ, you're with Him. If you don't, you're waiting judgment. On the day of judgment, when God casts all the, the, the dead in the sea in Hades, when they all stand before the great white throne judgment, and God casts them into hell that day, Satan's not in charge. And all God is doing is giving everybody what they want. He's just giving them what they want. I want life without you. I want an existence without God. So the Bible says that was Satan's desire and the angel's desire. So he created a place for them. They're not there yet. They will be. God will put them in that place. He calls it hell. Hell, all that word means is uh, it's taken from lots of different words. Tartarus, Gehenna. Gehenna is the place where they used to burn the trash. Uh... Hell is the absence of God. And God is every good and perfect thing. So hell is the absence of every good and perfect thing. That's why it's described in weird terms like fire and dark. It's hard to have fire and dark at the same time, isn't it? Well, what's he talking about? Well, he's not talking about the comfort of fire. He's talking about the the burn, the torture, the torment of fire. And he's talking about utter darkness. You can't see nobody else. Well, I'll be there with my friends. No, you won't. Friends are a good thing. All good things come from God. We're going to hang out and party. No, sorry. Partying is a good thing. You don't get a party in hell. There is no good thing. Utter absence of all good. Other, in heaven, there's, a, there's at least, I don't know how long it'll be, the, the, the wedding supper of the Lamb, at least seven days long. Some say seven years long. Maybe it's an eternity long. That's where the party is. Not in hell. Ain't no party in hell. 
You are inexcusable, O man, you who judge another. Are you going to throw out the, the justice and forbearance and the, and the beauty of all that God has done? The goodness to say that you can make it yourself? Well, the next section of this chapter, he's going to focus on the judgment of God. His perfect judgment. Look what it says, according to repentance. The next phrase. But, in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. And the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So the judgment of God is according to repentance. Have you repented or not repented? Repenting means that I agree with God. You are right, God. I am a sinner. You're right. I'm wrong. That's repentance. It's a change of attitude. Which leads to a change of direction. Which God works in the hearts of men and women. But he said, because you have not repented, you are storing up for yourself wrath on the day of wrath at the revelation or the revealing or the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So what's he talking about? He says, look, he uses two words there for wrath. One is orge. That is predisposed judgment. That means your guilt. Okay? So you are storing up your guilt for the day of thumos, the day when he will pour out his wrath, or the judgment, or the payment, or the indignation that God has for that guilt. Currently, you are in a place where you have time. But when that's over, there will be a time at the revealing, or the unveiling of Jesus Christ, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every tongue will be silent. And that judgment will fall. So it's based on repentance. Is there repentance? Is there a change of heart? And it's also we see it in the rewards that God gives. Look at the next section. The next section he says, Who will render to each according to his deeds? Now I don't want you to see this as deeds that he, that he does. We'll see it in just a sec. Look at it. Um, Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory honor and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath. So those two verses, when they're talking about the rewards, the focus on those two verses is on what are you seeking. Those who are seeking self are storing up wrath and indignation, judgment from God. Those who are seeking glory, honor and immortality. Where do we find those three things? Glory, honor, and immortality. You're only going to find them in Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6.33? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? All these other things will be added unto you. What are you seeking? If you're seeking Him, you'll find eternal life. If you're seeking self, you'll find judgment. He goes on in 9 and 10 to give the exact same attitude. Look what he says. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Of the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. In the first one, what we want to see is, you see where it says to do evil. Look at it. It says, who does evil? In the Greek, it's more emphatic. It says, who does the evil thing? And who does the good thing? In the Greek, it's like that. Who does the evil thing? What's the evil thing? The denying of the revelation of Jesus Christ in your life. To reject the revelation that God has given. That's to do the evil thing. To him who does the good thing. Definite article is in both places. 
to do the good thing. That is to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ in your life. One leads to life. One leads to death, destruction, judgment. That's what he's talking about. Now, the funny thing is, we find the third emphasis on the judgment of God. You remember the first one? The judgment of God is infallible. God's never wrong. The second one, the judgment of God is inevitable. Everyone's going to stand before God. The third one, the judgment of God is impartial. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. What's the next verse say? Verse 11. For there is no partiality with God. Does anybody get a pass just by on, on the basis of who they are? Nobody. Does a Jew get a pass just on the basis of who he is? No. That's what, the Bible doesn't say that anywhere. I don't know where sometimes people get that idea. Does God have a plan for the nation of Israel? Sure. He also says they are not all Jews who say they are Jews. Any more than they are all Christians who say they are Christians. A Jew, well, that's somebody who follows their Messiah. A Christian, that's somebody who follows the Messiah. For in the church there is neither Jew or Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. God shows no partiality. None. His judgment is without partiality. He has no grandkids. Sometimes we think, you know, when we sin, we, go, we come to God like He's grandpa. You know how grandpa is when you've done something wrong? You guys don't remember? If you were my grandkids, you would say, Oh, man, Jackie's a piece of cake. Oh yeah, my little granddaughter comes to me. I don't care what she done. She stole the last drink of my monster, ate the last bite of my brownie, kicked my computer, and it shattered in a million pieces. And she comes over to me and says, Hi, Grandpa. I don't care about none of that stuff. Oh, come here, baby. It's okay. It's okay. Grandpa will make Grandma buy me new ones. God's not your Grandpa. He's not the grandpa. But he has made opportunity. We're all guilty, but the Bible also says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Is that offered to everyone? Without partiality. Just like his judgment. It's free. It's free. Look what he says. He's talking about the judgment of God. He's talking about he'll he'll give rewards. You get you you get what you earn. You get it? There's no pass. What's he say next? For as many as have sinned without the law will perish without the law. That's what we were talking about, right? Have you ever known that you did something you shouldn't have done? Does everyone have a moral conscience, a moral, a moral compass? Yeah. Don't fool yourself into thinking there is no place on earth where they honor the coward. No place. No society that says to run from battle is honorable. None. Why? Well, in Jeremiah 31, God said, I'm going to write my laws on their hearts. He's placed in mankind a moral code. A basic understanding of good and evil. Right? 
We know when we done wrong. So God says, look, if you don't have the law, you'll be judged by your moral compass. Did you do what you knew to be right? You think that's any better than being judged by God's law? I don't know about your moral compass, but mine is flips all over the place all the time. Or oftentimes I don't do what I should have done, and I did what I, I shouldn't have done. I do it both ways. What does it declare? My justification? No man will be justified before God on the basis of what he's done. He'll only be justified before God on the basis of faith, who he trusts. You'll either trust yourself or you will trust Jesus Christ. For the righteous will live by faith. Trust in him. If you don't have the law, you'll you'll be judged by your moral compass. If you do have the law, you'll be judged by the law. And then look what he says. For not the hearers of the law, but the doers. You ever known people who can always say what they're going to do, but never do it? It's like most of us. I don't mean you guys. It was the first the first service. They were full of people like that, but not you guys. <laughs> the one, to say something, we had this saying in football. Uh, Tracy Vogelmore would do it. He'd say, uh, the kids would say, oh, coach, I'm going to go do whatever. And, and so Tracy would say, you got the easy part over with. You said you're going to do it. What's the hard part? Do it. Not the hearers of the law are justified. I heard the law. Well, congratulations. Who's he talking to here? He's specifically talking to the Jew. Who heard the law? The Jews. Do you know God spoke the Ten Commandments to him? Yeah, at Mount Sinai, he spoke the words. They heard his voice. That's where the Ten Commandments came from. He said, not those who hear the law are justified. You don't justify because you heard it, or because you saw me, or you heard me. You're justified... Because you did it. What is it that I got to do? I can't do it. Paul himself. Romans chapter 7 is going to say, The things I know I should do, I don't do. The things I know I shouldn't do, I do those all the time. Who's going to save me? I can't do it myself. So who's going to save me? Jesus is. Jesus is. Jesus saves me. Jesus saves. He saves. He justifies. He sanctifies. And He glorifies. It's not me. How do, I, how do I keep the law? It's real simple. I live a life of repentance. And I trust in Jesus Christ. And I'm a keeper of the law. Yeah. Which law did Jesus break? None of them. So if I'm in Him, I am a just man made perfect. That's what the Word of God declares. How do I find myself in Him? By faith. The righteous live by faith. Not because of what I've done, but because of who I trust. Well, look. It says, For when Gentiles do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, although not having the law, they are a law unto themselves, their conscience. Verse 15, Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, bearing witness between themselves and their thoughts, accusing them or excusing them. You ever had your conscience bother you? Have you ever had your conscience accuse you of, oh, you shouldn't have said that. You ever had your conscience excuse you? You did something, but your conscience says, oh, they're a dirtbag, they deserved it anyway. No, I'm the only one who has had that. So, 
Both of those things indicate I'm guilty. My conscience is saying you're guilty. And what God is, I I can hear, I can see the tears rolling off of God's face. You are all guilty. You are all lost. You are all condemned. And I don't want to lose one of you. Because the word declares, God does not glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn and live. So God said, I sent my son. Can you imagine doing that? There's a reason God uses anthropomorphism. A what? I was with you, and then you said some crazy words. Okay. So, God is totally other. You guys with me? God's not a man. He don't look like us. He is totally other. He's beyond our comprehension. We can't even fully understand Him. But when He wants us to understand different characteristics of of himself and his relationship, he uses words we use. Not because Jesus is a son like we have sons today. But when he says, that's my son, you understand the emotion attached. Don't you? What kind of emotion would be attached watching your son beaten for someone else's crime? What kind of emotion is attached watching your son propped up on a stake and hung there until he dies? What kind of emotion is is brought about when your son hung on this cross for something he didn't do is then upon his body dumped all the filth of mankind? That's why God uses anthropomorphism, humanistic terms, so we can understand the heart. When he says, for God so loved the world, he gave his son. And you say, man, there could be no greater love. There could be no greater love than that. And why did he do it? So that not one person would ever be condemned. Romans 1, 2, and 3 says, we all deserve condemnation. We're all guilty. You're not okay. Unless you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you live a life based in repentance, not pointing fingers. And you recognize that you still need His forgiveness every day. That's how the righteous live by faith. Because he ends this section of Scripture, guys. If you look at it, he says, The day is coming. The day is coming, man. Verse 16 In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to the gospel. The day is coming. The Father, God, has said He has committed all judgment to the Son. Why? Because the Son humbled Himself and allowed Himself, though innocent, to be judged by man. So the Father said, then you're going to be the judge of man. That's why the Bible says every man will stand before him and declare he is God Almighty. Every tongue will confess him as Lord. Every knee will bow. Not most, all. But on that day, it's too late. Because you get to that day, it will be because you have despised His goodness. 
and His forbearance and His long-suffering here. And you didn't receive the gift He offered. Nobody stands in that judgment and makes it. Nobody. Everyone stands before the great white throne goes to outer darkness. Everybody. That's a horrible thought. And before you think that God rejoices in it, I want you to know, after that, He wipes away every tear. And you know what the first one will be? The ones running down His face. Because everyone who stands before Him, He'll say, I died for you. I died so you didn't have to be here. I rose again so that you would know it was true. I sent my Holy Spirit so that you would have the power to be who God wants you to be. All you had to do was take it. Reach out and take it. That's what Romans 2 says. Everybody's guilty. No pass. No good enough. But every man, every woman, every child can receive. To as many as received Him. What's that mean? What do I got to do? How do I receive Him? It's so complicated. You got to pass a test. And you got to sign a card. And we got water right here. And then you got to get baptized. And then we're going to stand you before the board of elders. And if they think you're good enough, you're okay. Is that what the word says? No. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe. Put your trust in. Put your hand in His hand. Make Him the center focus of the rest of your life. I pursue Jesus Christ. I want to live my life loving Him to the last breath I got. That's how I want to live it. The last things that come off of my lips, I want them to be praise. Because I'm about to see His face. I look forward to that day. If you're here today and you are the religious moralist, who justifies themselves based on everybody else's failure. Stop doing that. That's dumb. Everybody understands that part, right? Don't do that. That's lame. Put your trust in Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't walk out of that door, man. The goodness of God might be over today. You get that? The goodness of God might be over a block away. Or a week away, or a month away, or a year away. Today is a day of salvation. Now is the time. You don't got to go through some crazy ceremony, man. All you got to do is put yourself in Him. Put your trust in Him. You're right, God. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Be the Lord of my life. I'm going to trust in You. But that didn't sound like the prayer I prayed when I did it. It don't matter. There no, you know there ain't no coin prayer, right? Billy Graham didn't like get a trademark for the sinner's prayer. 
You just pray what's in your heart. And God will answer it and save your soul. Isn't that awesome news? That's great news. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we can come today. Open your word, Father God. Kind of heavy, Lord, as we just look at the guilt of man. But as we discuss the guilt of man, everybody's guilty, Lord. Whether they're, they're a Jew, as we'll see next week, whether they're uh, self-righteous, whether they don't see God anywhere, it doesn't matter. Everything God needs to declare man to be guilty, He has. And if He wasn't love, He'd just leave it that way. But He sent His Son. God born. Amazing. The creator of the universe became a child. Suffered the indignation of the world. Lived a perfect life to substitute for our messed up one. And then one day he took all our guilt and all our shame. And he put it on his back. And he said, I'll pay the price for you. Because if you pay the price, I lose you. So I'll pay the price for you. And he died. And he rose again to declare, it's good. We're, we're good. You can now have a relationship with, with God Almighty, with me, my Father. All you got to do is receive it. Appropriate the gift. Open up the box. Take it out. Put it on. Lord God, as we stand before you today, maybe some here today don't know you. I pray, God, they make the choice. It ain't complicated. It's not complicated. Maybe there are some today that stand here self-righteous. I pray they would just stop. It's lame. You are the only one who makes us righteous. You and you alone. Period. All of us stand before you needing the beauty and the majesty and the just amazing grace, God, that you pour out on your people. Lord, I pray that we would receive it and start acting like people who aren't great because they do good things. People who are great because God loves them and makes them great. The things that we have and the things that we do, they are yours. Thank you. You love us so much, God, that you did it all. You did it all. All you ask us to do is believe. All you ask us to do is follow you. God, I pray that we would have that heart, that that would be our attitude, that we would come and say, it is the love of God that constrains me. It is the love of God that compels me. It is the love of God that holds my life together. It is the love of God that gives me the strength for a new day. It is the love of God that gives me hope for tomorrow. It is the love of God 
for he truly is everything I need. God, I thank you. You are amazing. And I am a mess. And I thank you that you love me in this place enough to make me right with you just by trusting in you. My faith in your son. God, I pray, man, woman, and child here today and not leave this place without the knowledge that I am a child of God. For He is mine and I am His. And we give you the praise and the glory for it. All of it. In Jesus' name. Amen.